Well, good morning, Parkview Church. My name is Thomas Hoke, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's a great joy to be here with you on the Lord's Day. I hope that these last uh, few days, this last week, has been full of good enjoyment of the fact that the Lord has become a man. We remember this uh, on Christmas, of course, and now with this new year, uh, we've sort of got the whole year ahead of us, and it's, it's sort of an exciting time. Um, and it's, it's just good to be here with you uh, this morning. If I'm a new face to you, uh, or if you're visiting here, I want to expend sort of a special welcome, and I hope uh, I'll be up here and milling around. I hope you'll come and introduce yourself to me. I'd love to get to know uh, more of you. Now, uh, as Andrea sort of introduced uh, uh, to us, we we're sort of spending this first part of the year focusing and devoting ourselves to prayer. Um, in a couple days, I'm sure, if you're a college football fan or an Iowa Hawkeye fan, uh, you'll probably be watching a football game or, you know, Iowa and Mississippi State coming up here on New Year's Day. And I hope you're familiar with this play that I'm going to describe so that you can sort of imagine with me. Uh, let's say one of the teams, probably not Iowa, probably Mississippi State, they're down. Uh, four or five points, few seconds left in the game. And so they'll run this play where you send all your big, tall receivers, maybe even a couple, you know, offensive linemen, all the way down the field uh, and send them into the end zone. And the quarterback, he's just going to chuck it as far as he can, hoping... Uh, beyond hope that one of those big tall guys, in spite of, you know, the defense, will catch it and will have a dramatic turnaround. And uh, what's that play called? Oh, okay, I'm glad you guys are all familiar with this. Now, um, why is it called a Hail Mary? Or maybe since we're Protestants, we might call it throwing up a prayer. You know, throwing up a prayer. Uh, you know, in basketball, last second you throw it up, throwing up a prayer, something like that. Why, why do we call it that? Well, uh, it's a play with a low likelihood of success. It's done with a, basically no time left. It's the last option, and it's done out of utter desperation. Well, I, I would like to suggest that this year, we would enter the new year uh, with an attitude toward prayer that's the exact opposite. Uh, what if we started this year as a church, as a people, realizing and proclaiming that prayer is not our last option, but our first and best option? And I, I want to encourage us to do this this, this, this week, even today, uh, and today to in, embrace the privilege of what it is to pray, the privilege that we have in prayer. Uh, our text today will be Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. If you want to turn there in your Bible, if you've got a paper Bible, or if you want to flip over there on your phone, this is where you can get your phones out and not feel bad in church. Um, click over there. And I want to show you from Hebrews 4, and I want to encourage you and exhort you from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 to embrace the privilege of praying in the name of Jesus by boldly and continuously approaching God's throne in prayer. Embrace this privilege of prayer, Parkview, by praying in the name of Jesus boldly and continuously before the throne of God. There are three elements of this privilege to prayer in this passage that we'll see. The first one is a pressing need. A pressing need, that's the first element of our privilege. Second one is a perfect priest. And the third one is a powerful king. Pressing need, a perfect priest, powerful king. And our text reads like this. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time 
of need. Let's go to him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we can come to you. We can come to you with, with everything, and we can come to you in the name of Jesus, knowing uh, that you hear us and that you long, uh, long for us to come to you. I pray that as we hear from your word today, we would be transformed, we would be reformed, Lord, as a people. Um, as I said, this, this world deforms us in, in, our, in our view of prayer. Uh, I pray that you would reform us here by your word and by your spirit that is within us. I pray you would do all this uh, by and for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, as I said, the first element of this privilege of prayer that we see in this passage is a pressing need, a pressing need. Now, if you read this passage, there's really one central exhortation, one central, uh, you might even call it a command. Uh, in verse 14, at the end of verse 14, it says, uh, you know, since we have this great high priest, Jesus, and then we get to it. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us, meaning as in let us go to the mall. Let us, let's do it, right? It's sort of, it's a command. It has the force of a command. Let's hold fast our confession. And so the natural question for us reading this passage would be, which confession? What, what confession? And uh, as, as you look at the background of this text, what's clear is the confession just generally is that Jesus is the king of everything, Jesus is Lord of all. This was the confession. Whenever we read the Bible, this is just a good principle of Bible reading, and you read uh, a command, an exhortation, it's natural to assume that the reason you're, you're exhorted this way is because there's a temptation to do just the opposite, to let go of your confession. Give, give it up. No. Hold fast your confession. Uh, the, the, the people to whom this letter was written were facing persecution for their faith. What they were uh, experiencing was all the more difficult because these were people who were either sort of first-hand or second-hand witnesses to Jesus. Okay, so Jesus had come to these people uh, or to their friends and said, look, I'm making all things new. You know how the world is messed up and, and things have gone terribly wrong? Well, in me, all things are going to be made new. That's why he came, he healed the sick. He, he you know, ch he changed everything. And he said, one day I'm going to make all things new. And, and I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to make all things. Under my rule and reign, because I am the one true king, Jesus said, I'm going to make it all new. And yet, here they were, not experiencing the newness of life that we imagine, but rather uh, being pressured and persecuted to give up, not to grasp their confession, but to, but to say maybe Jesus isn't the king. Their circumstances were telling a different story from what Jesus had told them. And it was in this gap, this gap between what Jesus said the rule under me will look like and what it one day will be, when we celebrate the second advent, the second coming, there's this gap, this yawning gap that was, it was so much pain for them that he had to write and say, here's what you should do. These are, your needs are important to God. God has promised that through Jesus he, he will mend this gap. And all of, this is where we enter into this passage. Because all of our needs are a similar reflection of the gap between what, li what life looks like now and what one, one day life will look like under the true and final reign of King Jesus. But in the meantime, we wait. And it's hard. And, and we need help to hold on to our confession that Jesus is the one true king, especially when that gap between now and one day uh, just brings pain. Have you ever, I know we've got the children in here this morning, I want to, you know, welcome you uh, because we don't have child care this morning, so I want to, 
have you ever played the game where you, you're given two pictures and you're supposed to identify the difference be, between them? You know, spot the difference, spot the seven differences. Okay, there's two apples in this one, three in this one. This line is sort of going a different direction than this one. This is the idea that's sort of being given to us in this passage. Uh, whole, your confession is Jesus is king, and yet here in this world, boy, it's not hard to spot the differences. And in fact, the more acquainted we are with Jesus and the kingdom that he came to proclaim, the more we feel the, the pain of those differences. This church was feeling the pain of those differences. And the more we need help, we need an audience with the king, we need help from him. We need great help. Even more difficult than that, perhaps, is the fact that it's not just when we look out on this world, look out on our city, look out on the country, our families, it's when we look inside of ourselves that those differences perhaps are most stark. We feel the tension between what Jesus has begun in us and what he will one day, we believe, bring to completion. And that, my friends, is where the language of the privilege of prayer begins to have its full effect. See, uh, the idea of a kingdom, the idea of Jesus as a king is a little bit foreign to us. but I want you to sort of enter into that mindset with me. Imagine that we're living under a king, uh, we're in a kingdom, and somehow we see, you know, our neighbor, whatever it is, somehow the king's rule is being flaunted, it's being ignored, and it's affecting us. We're feeling the gap between the king's rule and what it ought to look like, right? And so what would you do? You might go to the local sort of police person, you know, I don't know who that would be. Uh, You might, uh, if you were really daring, you might jump over him and go to the regional governor and sort of make your case, ah, here's what's happening. One thing you would not ever do is jump over everyone to go direct to the king. You would never, that would be, at least it would be dangerous. You would never go boldly, boldly before, no, boldly before the king, that would be suicide. And you would, you would never go continuously, as this passage tells us to do. You, you would go by the proper channels. You wouldn't, you know, bother him every day. That would be danger. You don't do that. Why? It, see, the king, and this is where we get lost, there is no separation of powers. There is, there is, it's not the king and then the legislative and then the judicial. No, there's one seat. The king sits on it. You come before him. You're not just coming before the king. You're coming before the judge and you're coming before the lawmaker. And so to come before the king, if you ever came before the king, you did not come boldly, you did not come continuously, you were coming before the judge and the ruler of all, the ju- and the executioner, you know, the one that sent you away. How much more when we come before? You, would, you came before the king with your knees shaking, and you, didn't, you maybe didn't even look up, and, and your hands shaking, and, maybe, and you spoke in the plainest way you could, because this is the king. You took your life in your hands. You don't come boldly, you don't. And yet with our king, it's not so. And this is the, this is the scandal of this passage. How, how is that possible? How is that? That we can come before, if, if the human king is not only the judge but all, and the lawmaker, but also the king, how much more the God of all creation? Now, like all good questions that you're asked in church, the answer is, Jesus. Uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, as a point of application, I want, I want you to see, I, I believe this text teaches us that when we feel those pangs of pain in our lives, we should connect them to the whole story of God that's being told through Jesus. That when we feel 
the, the fact that Jesus isn't the king, right? Whether it's in our hearts, we see that we don't do what he tells us to do naturally. Our, our hearts take us somewhere else. Or out as we look out in the world, and we see injustice and disease and death and disaster and, and everything wrong in this world. These are meant to drive us to the foot of our mighty king. So let them. Let them. I, th- I think the more, this is why I think mature Christians tend to be much stronger in prayer. Not because there's less <laughs> painful things in their life, but because the more, you see, the more you spot the differences, right, the more painful it is. And so the more you're driven to the feet of the king, and yet in doing so, we realize that the ultimate problem is, is not out there. The ultimate problem is in here. It's in our hearts. And as I said, this brings us to the second element of the privilege of prayer, and it is a perfect priest. First, we have a pressing need. This world doesn't look like it ought to, both without and within. But there's hope because we have a perfect priest. See this in verses 14 and 15. This is really the major part of this passage is about Jesus, our perfect priest. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for, or because, or since, since we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is here called the great high priest. Our, what a privilege, our great high priest. It sort of doubles up on his superlatives. Not only is the high priest, he's also the great high priest. Uh, And why is this? Well, it goes on to explain to us that he has been tempted in every way that we are. That, That is, he's sympathetic. He knows how it feels. And yet, without sin. Now, uh, it's important to understand what it means that Jesus is the high priest. Uh, to be the high priest in the, in the religion of Israel, uh, if you go back and read in the Old Testament, what you find is that the high priest was the person who stood in the place of the people before God. Uh, a word you could use would be mediator. Uh, this was, so they had really two big requirements for the high priest because they were going to go stand in the very presence of God, which is a dangerous place to stand if you're a sinner like you and me, they had to have two requirements. First of all, and this one is probably obvious, but in order to re- represent someone else, you need to be like them. It, so they had to be an Israelite. In order, they had to be a human uh, in, order to, in order to represent the people. But secondly, if you're going to go before the, the holy God who cannot dwell with sin, you also had to be sinless. Only two requirements is a really short uh, job list. Uh, pre- However... Uh, it left a pretty short list of people. That left, it was a list of zero people. Uh, who's going to be the high priest? Well, God figured out how he would deal with this. He said, uh, what I'll have you do is you'll go through a ceremonial washing. You'll put on these special clothes. Uh, you'll bring in a bull, and I will, I will count the bull as, as if it's you. You'll slaughter the bull, and my wrath will go on them. And when you go into the temple, you burn the incense so that if you happen to saw the, see the face of God, he, you, know, you wouldn't die. And so I'll sort of take care of this, but one greater has come. He has no need to offer a bull or a goat because he has offered himself his perfect sacrifice. He is the Son of God. He has passed into the heavens. He is both sympathetic and sinless. He is both God and man. A a couple of summers ago, Katie and I took a trip to Europe, and um, I don't know if you guys know this, but they don't all speak English there. And we found that out kind of quickly. When we were taking a train, um, from, well, from somewhere in Italy to somewhere else in Italy. Uh, but we don't speak Italian, so this presented a problem. 
Um, this was one of the, well, this was the only train trip. I don't know if you guys have ever been in, the, I don't know, trains are different over there, but uh, it's not like these rows of seats are, you know, like on a train, but ev ra rather, you can flip around the seats so you can sit in sort of a foursome. And so there was four of us traveling together, and we thought, oh, this is great. This was the only train where we hadn't managed to get the four together. We were sort of separated. And so we thought, oh, like stupid Americans, we thought, this will be easy. We'll just go up and say, hey, of course they want to help us. Can you, would you mind just switching us seats? Uh, we just want to sit by each other. We're sort of traveling and afraid. Uh, could, could we do that? Well, they don't speak English, <laughs> and we don't speak Italian, and so there's a, there's a gap between us. Uh, and so, the, of, of course, at first they think we're saying that they're sitting in the wrong seats, that we're, those are our seats, that they're sort of getting agitated. And what we needed, we needed a mediator. We need someone who, you know, we spoke English, that's fine. We, you know, to find someone else who spoke English wouldn't have been that helpful. What we needed, and we, you know, to have someone who only spoke Italian but not English, that's no help to us. What we needed was someone who spoke both, right? Someone who was sympathetic and yet they... They had, there were other at the same time. And in fact, we found someone, there was a gal not far from us, and um, she not only spoke English and Italian, she also spoke Spanish, Chinese, Korean. So if you're feeling, not feeling bad about yourself, just there's a little fact for you. Um, and so we, finally, we got out of that mess. Um, but uh, the point being, this, this gift of communication, of being able to, to commune, uh, it was such a, you know, we had a pressing need. Right? And it wasn't until we had someone come who could, who could mediate between both parties, who had both, that, that, that was solved. How much more, that's just a silly sort of human problem, how much more when we think about the privilege of prayer, that, that we can commune, communicate, we can commune with the one true God through Jesus. This is why prayer is such a privilege. Do you see? Jesus, in, in coming, becoming a man, was able to represent it. He could have just stayed over here sinless and just, no, I, I don't want to be sympathetic, right? But on, G, on, on Christmas, actually, that's what we celebrated him doing, right? And yet, I don't know, I, I mean, I guess he could have just been sympathetic, but not. he couldn't help us. He's both. We shouldn't be able to pray. We shouldn't be able to get an audience with the king. No. And yet we're invited to come boldly, even continuously to him, because of this perfect priest. I invite you, Parkview, to, to, to just let the nearness, let the perfection of Jesus, who knows you completely, let it wash over you. You can never, we can never again say, once we, once we trust Christ, we can never again say, no one knows how I feel. Nor, and we're never utterly alone, either. Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend? Jesus has. Have you ever felt the overwhelming stress of the job you've been called to? Jesus has. Have you ever been tempted to seize power rather than entrusting yourself to God's timing and plan? Have you ever felt homesick and out of place? Ever been sick and tired? Or just sick and tired? Ever been frustrated or you ever feel like you lost God's face? Jesus knows. Go to him. Go to him. Now, the beauty of this nearness is, is wonderful and it's sweet, uh, but it's even more beautiful when we realize that the one that we are to go to is not only sympathetic, uh, he's also powerful enough that he can do something 
about our needs, right? Uh, this is the beauty of having a powerful king. And this is the third element of the privilege of prayer. We see what a privilege it is when we see that our king is not only sympathetic through Jesus and sinless so that we can, we can have access through him, but finally that he can actually do something about our prayers. He's not powerless, he's powerful. See this in verse 16. Let us then, let us therefore, in light of all this, that means with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He will help us in a time of need. In fact, our our God allows all people who come in the name of Jesus, not just to come to him boldly, but to come to him whenever they have need. And I want to sort of play off of this fact to sort of roll out three uh, three applications, three sort of illustrations that I hope will help you and be really practical as we think through how to, how to pray into this new year in a couple of days. Uh, the first one being that because our high priest is sinless, I encourage you to come boldly. Because our high priest is sinless, come boldly. Now, I, I hope uh, you've done this before. Probably if you grew up in church, you, you grew up being taught when you pray, how do you end your prayer? In Jesus' name we pray right? Uh, or maybe if you came to Christ later, you sort of taught that. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, and that's a really a beautiful thing. And I hope you can uh, not only just sort of say that at the end of your prayer, but also let it form your prayer. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. In fact, without the name of Jesus, I couldn't even be here before the throne of God. Uh, but in Jesus' name we pray. It's not just sort of a stamp, you know, you sort of stamp it on your prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. And then sort of toss it off to the heavens. Hope Then God will sort of grab it. Oh, it's got the stamp, you know. I guess I'll do this one. Rather, it's, it's more like a cloak that you put over you as you enter the throne of God. And, and you say, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I'm coming not only in, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming in the righteousness of Jesus. I'm coming in, in all that he is and all that he has done. I can enter into the presence of God. Now, this passage, look, the Bible never wastes words. Okay, so they're all significant. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. Now, it, we run over that and we say it's the same thing. No, it's not. What does it mean to receive mercy? To receive mercy means that I deserve punishment, but I, God has mercy. He does not give, give to us the wrath that we deserve. Why? Because Jesus has already absorbed it. And on the other hand, that sort of leaves us as a blank slate. Right? We, it's almost, you know, God wipes our sins away and maybe we're sort of just a blank slate. And yet, on the other hand, we find grace. Grace is different from mercy. What does grace mean? Grace means we have God's favor. We have God's favor. That means when I put on the robes of Christ's righteousness and appear before the throne of God, the judge of all the earth, he not only has wiped my slate clean because of Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf, but when he looks at me, he sees the perfect righteousness of his Son. Amen. Parkview, do you believe that, that God the Father hears the prayers of Jesus? I think so. I, th- I think you'd say yes. And if, we're, we're co- and if this is true, this is a shattering truth. If it's true that we can come in the name and righteousness and grace of Jesus, will he hear our prayers as well? Yes. Now, this is a truth that's almost too magnificent to believe. And if, if, we, if we took this to our hearts and God by his spirit we just, just put it in there and, and gave us the power to believe this, wow, 
what kind of people we would be, what kind of church we would be, interceding before the King of all creation in the name of Jesus with the full righteousness of Christ. Do you want to see whether, whether this is something we've really grasped? Uh, okay, this is sound crazy, but I want you to close your eyes. I learned this from, from, uh, from uh, Bob Thune and Will Walker. Okay. And I want you to imagine, if you've read Isaiah 6, the throne room where Isaiah is brought in, sort of imagine that scene. Here's God, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and you're going to approach him, the king of all creation, and you're going to say, you're going to ask for something, right? You're, you're there before the king to ask, you need help, you need whatever. Think about what the look on his face toward you. What is, his count, what is God's countenance toward you? And, and now, uh, step to the side, you're sort of a bystander, and, and here comes Jesus, fully righteous God and man, sympathetic and sinless, standing before his Father. And now, what, what is the face of God? You can open your eyes. But, but did his face change? Did his face change? Did you know that being in Christ means it didn't? He hears you as if you were Jesus now. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. This is a marvelous truth. Come to him. Come in the name of Jesus with the confidence of a perfect life. The second uh, sort of point of application we can take from our powerful king is that because our high priest is sympathetic, we can come honestly to him. Uh, When my wife, Katie, was pregnant with Jack about a year ago, I remember um, she was starting to have some of the pains and, and aches that sort of come with pregnancy. And I remember... Uh, every time, you know, she would sort of get frustrated, you know, she's tired or, you know, she's feeling sick or whatever, she would call her sisters, her sister, Beth, or she would call, uh, you know, her mom. And part of me is a little hurt, you know. I'm, the, I'm here, I'm, I can help, you know, talk to me. Um, then I realized that was kind of silly. Uh, I, I've never experienced those things, right? Uh, and so what Katie needed was someone who could, you know, be sy- sympathetic to her, and that's, that's what we have uh, in Jesus, she, she needed someone who had been there before, and that's what we need as well. Uh, and he's not just sort of the sympathetic, sort of send you a, send you a get well card sort of sympathetic, but he's the, he's the come to your house with a bowl of chicken noodle soup sort of sympathetic. He's willing to come, and in Christmas, we, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is willing to participate in your suffering with you. That's how sympathetic he is. So go to him, honestly. He understands. It says he's been tempted in every way. You'll never shock him. Okay? He, he doesn't need the final draft of your prayer. You know? I don't know if you ever, ever do this. You know, you're in a you're in community group and you guys are going to pray a little bit and the other person's praying and in your head you're kind of thinking, okay, what am I going to pray? I'm better. Okay, I could say this. I could say a few things. Got a few things lined up. Okay, I'm ready. Now I can listen to everyone else. No, he doesn't need He heard the whole thing. Okay? He was listening the whole time. He knew what was going on. Just give him the, give him the rough draft. Okay, bring him, your, bring him the rejoicing, bring him the weeping, bring him the celebration, bring him the pain, bring him the little things, the, th- the little impudent, oh, do I really need, eh, I'll just pray. Just do it. He wants to hear it all. He knows how you feel. Uh, and finally, this sort of last implication, because our king is generous with his children, come expectantly, come expectantly. One of the marvelous mysteries of the New Testament is that in Jesus, we have not just been made servants of God, we have been made children of God. 
And I don't know about you, uh, I, just, I have about a six-month-old baby, and he can't really even talk yet, but every word of his babbling is captivating to me. And I know, I've, Katie and I, we just feel the danger that we love this little kid so much that the second he says, can I have a, whatever comes next, yes, right? Uh, I know, you know, we'll, we'll learn. But, you know, there's just such love. Just we want to give him whatever he needs, you know? Oh, sometimes he'll ask for stuff we can't give him, you know? And that's another one of the great things here. Look, little kids, they don't realize. They just think their dad's rich, right? Daddy, can I have a roller coaster? Well, <laughs> I would, you know, but that's how our attitude should be toward God. Oh, wow, if, if that's how I feel toward little Jack, how much more does our Heavenly Father feel that toward you? He wants to hear your babbling. Some of you, I know, I, I feel the same way. You feel so not there yet in prayer, and you feel like, I don't even know what I'm doing yet. I don't, he wants, just like I want Jack's babbling, God wants your babbling. He wants the babbling. Uh, Spend a few minutes babbling to him. Uh, You'll get better, right? Just like Jack, I know he's going to get better. He wants that. He wants it all. Romans 8, 15 tells us, through him we can cry, Abba. We can cry, Dada. We can cry, Daddy. We can cry, help me. Come to him with your paper cuts. And come to him with with your pancreatic cancer. Come to him with your frustrations, with your road rage, with your tears. Come to him with with the little the things you don't even know if you could ask, if you should ask, and, and just bring them to him. When the gap between our present experience and the coming kingdom of Jesus is, is just yawning and gaping and, and the holes in our hearts are starting to weep, this is the one you can come to. Even though he might redefine them, we're not perfect. He might redefine our prayers. He might give us not what we wanted but what we needed. We can know that we will always have our Father's attention. Dear friends, in the name of Jesus, who has earned for us the privilege of prayer. Let us start this year boldly and continuously approaching the throne of our Father's grace. Let's go to him now. Lord, we praise you. We come before you confidently. That even now we can come in the name of Jesus knowing that you don't look upon us with the scorn that we deserve, but because Jesus has turned the seat of judgment into a seat of grace and mercy, we can come to you boldly. We can come to you confidently. We can come to you babbling. We can come to you weeping. We can come to you always knowing in the name of Jesus, you, you don't just look at us like a blank slate. You look at us with the perfection of your son. I pray you would transform us beginning this very day to become the people we we need to be, that this world needs, that, that you desire for your glory to be. We pray that you would do this all by your spirit, for the glory and name of your precious son. Amen.